We're at week three in a ten-week study in this marvelous little book. Young Pastor Titus has been left on the island of Crete, an island with a notorious reputation for violence and piracy and theft and dishonesty and lying, immorality, drunkenness and greed. He's a young pastor with the, who's been left with the mission to finish the work of building and maturing these fledgling churches on the island, enable them to be able to survive and to thrive even in the midst of a culture like that. We're in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. We're on week 3 of a study. If you've missed the others, you can grab a CD in the foyer or go online and catch up if you'd like. I'm going to read verses 10 to 16. Just follow along as I read. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. The problems that face the church often are not problems out there, but often they are problems in here. So it was on Crete. Rising up from within the church were people who were propagating false teaching and who were opposed to God's truth and to Pastor Titus. We saw in our last message that Titus's job one was to, to build up, to raise up, to appoint godly leaders, elders in the church. Now, job two for Pastor Titus is to stand for the truth, to uphold truth, to protect the church from error and false teaching. This passage here to young Titus was critical in his day, but thankfully we've moved past that today. Today's Christians are much more knowledgeable, much more discerning and sophisticated than those in first century Crete. False teachers would simply have a hard time getting in the door of our churches today. Right? In 1998, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, a pastor and radio preacher in Florida, claimed that he was the reincarnation of the Apostle Paul. In 2005, he announced that he was the next phase of Jesus Christ on earth. And he proclaimed himself Jesus Christ man. And he was Jesus Christ himself. 
Then in 2007, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda revealed a tattooed 666 on his forearm and announced that he was also the Antichrist, explaining that the worship of Jesus of Nazareth was no longer appropriate since he himself is the second coming of Christ. Therefore, he is also the Antichrist. Surely, in our enlightened times, with Google and uh, Wikipedia and whatever else, Snopes, you know, surely such claims coming from a man twice divorced and thrice married with some criminal convictions from his younger days, no one would ever take this guy seriously. Yet in 2008, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda claimed to have 300 congregations and more than 2 million followers in 30 countries. The Dallas Morning News noted that Jose had 287 ongoing radio programs and a 24-hour TV network in Spanish and English. Finally, in 2013, if Jose Luis had any real confusion as to whether he was Jesus or not, he discovered that he was not when he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Sadly, most of his followers just finally figured it out then. The reality is, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda is just one in a stream of individuals and groups from the time of Titus until our own day who have come proclaiming great heresy propagate false teaching and propagate scams. Most of them are just simply a lot more subtle than he was. But it should shock us how many people listened. But the reality of false teaching should not surprise us. The reality of people like this should not surprise us. If the Scriptures say clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, the Apostle Paul says, that for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. He was that case on the island of Crete. It has been through church history. It will continue until Jesus returns, as I understand the Scriptures, increasing ever more until that time. So I think that we, and I would say that there's an abundance of false teaching in our day, probably more than there has ever been. And the reality is that, that for false teachers, in our, with our modern technologies, there is the means now to disseminate error and heresy widely and rapidly. And so the problem that was on Crete here in first century 
ought to be and is a valid concern for the church today. There's much for us to learn as Paul talks to Titus here about what ought to be done. Titus has his hands full with false teachers. Let's just see what we can learn about them. Verse 10, it says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. False teachers. I I note, first of all, that there are, he says, there are many. What we realize is it's not just one. It's not just a couple. It's not even a handful There are all kinds of false teachers invading the churches on Crete. Many threats to truth and sound teaching. I also notice that they are varied. They are multifaceted. For he says, especially of the circumcision party. Now the circumcision party simply means the Jews, Jewish folks who had had become believers. Among the Jews, there are these false teachers, but he says especially among the Jews, which means that there are others. There are false teachers coming from all directions, some Jewish, some Gentile. Thirdly, I notice he says there are many who are insubordinate. These folks are insubordinate. They are rebellious. As I thought about these verses this week, I realize I cannot think of a single Scripture that speaks positively about rebellion. Even though by nature most of us are rebels. (laughs) We'll see later in the book, chapter 3, and in a few weeks from now, that we must submit to authority as believers in Jesus Christ. We are called to be submissive to, to those who are in authority and Yes, of course, there is, there is in Scripture an escape clause. Whenever the authority of men contradicts, goes against what God has commanded, when their commands go against God's command, we are to submit to God rather than to man. But we are always to have good attitudes towards authority. We are always to be respectful towards authority. May I say, if someone is grousing and complaining against authority, if they are disrespectful towards leaders and authority, I don't care how good they sound, don't follow them. Ultimately, rebellion is against God. These false teachers place their own ideas, their own teachings above God and above His Word. And the very fact that they are rebellious, that they are insubordinate, is a little bit of a reminder and a little bit of a warning to all of us who deal with folks like this that they won't take kindly to correction. They won't go down without a fight. If you and I ever decide to deal with false teaching, it's going to be a struggle. Be prepared. Next, I notice that they are, he calls them empty talkers. Lots of words. And they are smooth words. They are words that sound deep. And they are words that sound spiritual. Words that sound good. They also tend to be words that exalt the talker, but they deliver very little real value or real help to the listener. Kind of like bubbles. 
Bubbles can be big and they're pretty. They're shiny. They got lots of color. They float along. They captivate us. If you ever look at bubbles, it's really cool. Just try to catch one. As soon as you touch it, pop! He says that's what these words are like. They're like bubbles. They get a lot of attention and they drag a lot of people along. But if you dig past just the surface and you touch it, it pops and promises a lot, but delivers very little. Next he says they are deceivers. That word for deceiver means that they may, it can mean that they are knowingly deceiving others. They are running a scam. Certainly we've seen that with false teachers in our day and time. They're just scammers. But it can also mean, it can be taken to mean that they are deceivingly deceived. They are self-deceived. They themselves are caught up in a deceitful lie, and they are sincerely deceived. But either way, the result is they are dragging people along with them into lies, into error, into false teaching. Skip down to verse 11. I didn't read it, but you'll notice there we find their motivation. It says they are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They are motivated by greed, desire for something, Most false teachers are looking for temporary profit, generally money. What they can get from their false teaching. But it's not always money. Some false teachers are out for other things. Status. Affirmation. To be liked. To be admired. To be, you know, to be praised. They're out for power. To be the, the... thrill of controlling and manipulating people. There are all kinds of things that motivate these folks, but it's all greed. It's all selfish desire. It should be a huge red flag if ever you see a spiritual leader, a preacher, a pastor who is living extravagantly, who is living flamboyantly, One who craves and loves and soaks in the adoration, the accolades and the attention and the praise of people. Such a person do not follow because it's a strong indicator that they've lost sight of following Christ and serving Him. And they have focused themselves or focused on serving themselves. Verse 16, one more thing to note about these false teachers. He says, they profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. They profess to be Christians. They profess to be spiritual, but they are neither one. They wear the t-shirt. They've got the pin. They use the words, but they are not followers of Christ. Verse 11 and 12, what we discover is that this is a serious problem. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Three reasons here why I see this is a serious problem. It's First of all, it's destructive. That, that word destructive means 
to upset, to overturn, to subvert. See, in my house, whenever you overturn something, you pretty well destroy it. Be it a birthday cake, a flower pot, (laughs) whatever. Things that are upturned are destroyed. They're, They're damaged. And they're damaging. They're destroying. He says here, whole families, not just a few individuals, but whole families. This word families can be physical families. It can also be referring to households, which might refer to house churches. Since most of these churches met in homes. This is no small thing. They're destroying people. They're destroying families. They're destroying churches. It can mean it's causing division and so it's it's, it's literally tearing a family apart, and that's serious. But worse than the, the, the destruction that is emotional and that is relational is the, is the destruction spiritually. There are serious spiritual consequences to false teaching. It leads people away from Christ. You may know some. I've known several folks who have been involved in a, in a cult in some aberration, some false teaching, they finally saw the light and said that this is a scam. This is, uh, this is false. But rather than running to Christ, they've decided, I can't trust anything or anyone. I will never believe anything again. And they just shut down. Serious consequences, grave consequences to false teaching. Therefore, inaction is not an option. Verse 11, it says, they must be silenced. I will quickly add, not in the mafia sense. Okay? (laughs) Just to make that perfectly clear. Rather, we just can't allow the false teaching to flourish among us. Then he went on in verse 12 and he quoted that Cretan prophet, Probably Epimenides, a poet from, who was from Crete. And what we understand is that this problem of these false teachers has its roots in their culture. Several little things to pick up from that. He's saying, in other words, they're, all, they're liars, they're evil beasts, they're gluttons. Liars, deceit comes easy to them. Should expect that you'd have problems with some of these folks being deceitful. Evil beasts. Well, evil beasts are, are like animals that, that destroy others and they have no problem with it. Don't be surprised that some of the Cretans are doing that. And lazy gluttons, they're greedy, they're self seeking. And so don't be surprised that some of these are that way. What that tells us is that with the roots and the culture, that's how these folks grew up and don't expect this to disappear anytime soon. Matter of fact, expect it to be like those weeds in the garden that you've got. They've got those deep roots. You go to try to pull it up and you get the top of it, but the roots are still there and it comes back. And so you, you next time you go with a, a little shovel and you dig and try to dig up the roots and you get most of the roots, but there's little bits of it and what you find is those little bits sprout up more of it, and it's going to be hard to get rid of heresy out of the church because it's rooted, ingrained deeply in where these folks are coming from. 
I also realize that what he's saying is we can expect that our culture will influence the types of heresy that we arise among us. So that the, the types of heresy that will arise among us will be different than those that arose among the Cretans or among the Thessalonians or whatever. I think that's why Paul doesn't give us here exactly what the errors and the heresies were. It's kind of fill in the blank of what's growing up among you, but it's going to have its roots in where these folks come from and where the culture is. We can see some of the heresies that are arising out our, in our day out of our culture as it seeps into the church. Well, okay, they must be silenced and not mafia-wise, so who's going to do that? What does it mean? Well, we began in verse 10, which is where the problem starts, where he starts explaining here's the problem. But it's interesting, if you go and look at verse 10, it starts with a little word. What's the little word? For. For is one of those words that when you see it there, it's a connecting word. And it's connecting what's in verse 10, the problem with what came before it. What came before it was the message where we were a couple of weeks ago. Last week I was camping out. Thank you for letting me go. It was wonderful. But I'm back. And um, anyway, so two weeks ago in the passage before, what was the subject? What was the message? What was job number one? Establish, build up, appoint elders. Look back. This little word links the problem of verse 10 to the preceding verse and the job description that's for elders. Verse 9, He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers and deceivers. Ah. See, the solution to the problem is found in elders. This is why we need elders. This is why churches should have elders. It's why a pastor should not be the elder in a church, but should be among elders in the church. So there is accountability in the church. Everyone is accountable what are elders to do? Well, he says here in the job description, verse 9, elders are to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine, sound teaching. They are to rebuke false teachers. That means to give rebuttal, to disprove it, to shut them down. Here's the truth. Secondly, they are to, verse 11, silence the false teachers. Literally, that word means to muzzle them. The reality is we can't silence false teachers by we can't literally muzzle them nor can we uh, legally nor nor rightfully uh, do the mafia thing so how do we silence them it simply means this we don't give them a platform in the church you're done you don't speak here you don't teach here silence them thirdly what are the elders to do Back up in verse 9, they, are to, they need to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Verse 13 and 14, we see a similar thing. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths or the commands of people who turn away from the faith. They are to strengthen the church. Now, you might not read that. When you read that, what you think is, it says, 
They need to rebuke them sharply. And we think, who are they going to rebuke? They're going to rebuke the false teachers because that's what they're told to do in verse 9. Rebuke the false teachers. But if you read verse 13 very carefully, what you realize is they're rebuking somebody different. They are to rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. They're people they're rebuking. They want them to be sound in the faith. Well, the false teachers we learn down in verse 16 are not believers. So he's talking about rebuking believers, not the unbelieving false teachers. He's also, if we, if it goes on, if when we go on, we'll make it clear that they're believers and it's the people in the church. People who have been subjected to hearing the false teaching. Also, he says, it follows that this testimony is true. You see, the false teaching arises out of the culture and so there's going to be a real temptation, a real tendency for us as people who are part of the culture to go along with the false teaching that is arising out of the culture. It's going to sound good to us. It's going to sound intriguing to us, natural to us. He says, rebuke the church. (laughs) So they understand that, that Christianity following Jesus Christ is counterculture. I don't care what human culture you come from, following Jesus is going to be counterculture. Countercultural. And so we as the church need this rebuke. Notice he goes on. Strength of the church. The purpose is to make them sound in the faith. So they know what they believe and why they believe it. They know the truth. Not devoted to myths. He says here, Jewish myths. Remember, a lot of these folks are these Jewish Christian believers. And they've brought in these these fables, these silly stories, foolish thoughts. And the unwary, the unthinking are just buying into these stupid little thoughts. He he says, the purpose of these elders is to rebuke the church so that you get it. So you are inoculated (laughs) against these foolish ideas. And here's again why I know he's not rebuking the false teachers, but but rebuking the believers. He says, so they are not devoted to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. In other words, they are not controlled by manipulative deceivers. So people who are being rebuked are the folks who are going to be likely to be sucked in and dragged away He doesn't want you to be there. Christopher Columbus coming to the Americas was at one point stranded on Jamaica and he needed supplies. And so he he also knew he was going to have trouble with the the chief, the the tribal chief on the island. and And so he went to the chief and said, unless you give me supplies, The God who protects me will punish you and the moon will lose its light. He knew there was going to be a lunar eclipse that night. When the eclipse darkened the sky, Columbus got all the supplies he needed. In the early 1900s, an Englishman in Sudan tried the same trick on a Sudanese chief. If you do not follow my orders, he warned, vengeance will fall on you and the moon will lose its light. The Sudanese chief looked at him and said, if you're talking about the lunar eclipse, that's not till day after tomorrow. 
<laughs> the best protection against deception is knowing truth. And the Apostle Paul wants this church to be grounded in truth. And so he has charged the elders of making sure this body is grounded in truth. Sadly, most of evangelical Christianity today is more preoccupied with drawing large crowds than teaching truth. They are emphasizing, by and large, spiritual experience over sound doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for teaching. I'm so thankful that your elders here at the chapel are not that short-sighted. There's nothing wrong with crowds. But there's everything wrong with de-emphasizing truth and teaching in order to get them. The goal of your elders is to see us all grow in soundness of the faith, which Paul says here is the vaccine against false teachers. Very quickly, lastly, these last two verses, verse 15 and 16, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works. A mouthful of stuff and a lot of, a lot of it there. And some of it you read and you kind of go, what in the world is he saying? I say it very simply. It's this. I think he's saying character matters. In the, if you were here two weeks ago where he's talking about elders, you'll recall as he's laying out for us the, the qualifications for elders, almost all of them had to do with character. It's about character, 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 because character matters. I think what, what Paul is saying here about the false teachers is the same thing from the other side of the coin. What he's, what he's saying here is the same principle. The life of the false teacher will expose his false teaching. Because corrupt teaching and corrupt living tend to go together. They tend to go hand in hand. One leads to the other. And the other leads back to the one. Someone who goes errant, they go sideways in their teaching, will almost inevitably go sideways in their living. Someone who goes sideways in their living will almost inevitably go sideways in their teaching. And so, if a teacher is living corruptly, do not follow them. If you didn't know any Scripture and know that José Luis de Jesús, whatever, couldn't be the Christ, there's plenty of Scripture to tell you that. All you had to do was look at his life. If a man is going to divorce two women and carry on affairs with others and, and live driving you know, hugely luxurious cars and mansions everywhere and you know, all, the, all the stuff, the life tells the story. The teaching's wrong. And so it is. 
If you see someone living corruptly, don't follow them no matter how good they sound. That's his point, I think, in these, those two verses. Two takeaways. There could be many, but just let me give us two this morning. First, pray for your elders. Honor them. I tell you, we are blessed with wonderful elders at this church. Have been all the years I've been here. Every, every one of the men who have served, they are godly men of character and wisdom who serve with distinction and sacrifice. Much of their work is unnoticed and unseen. You won't know this side of heaven. But they have a heavy responsibility before God. You need to pray for them. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray for boldness. Pray for courage. That they would lead well. But it's not all just about the elders here. I think the second takeaway is this. You... And I, every one of us, need to determine to grow. We need to commit ourselves. You need to commit yourself to grow so that you will be sound in the faith. That's what Paul is telling Titus to get these elders to do, to, to be busy growing the church to be sound in the faith so that every one of us is a, knows the Scripture well enough and is able to spot heresy when it arises. Certainly the elders are called to be the watchmen over our church. But men, the Scripture calls you men to be the watchmen over your homes. It calls for you, moms and dads, husbands and wives, to be watchmen over your children in your home. It calls for all of us to be discerning and to be, and to be vigilant in whatever sphere of influence we have. To be able to spot and deal with heresy, with false teaching. And so may I challenge you this morning to determine to grow. Let's pray. Father, it's big stuff. Stuff we really wouldn't, would rather not deal with because dealing with, with false teaching is a messy thing. It is dealing with folks who don't want to be dealt with, about things that we'd rather not deal with. And yet it's essential because false teaching is terribly harmful to all who get caught in it. So Father, I pray that You would help us to be faithful as men and women, young people, that we would commit ourselves to learning Your Word, to knowing it well enough so that not only are we not caught up in false teaching, but we are able to refute it and protect others from it. Father, I pray that that would be a description that is given of this church, not just by those around us, but ultimately by You one day, Father, that You would look at these, each one in this church say it was a church of folks who were sound in their teaching and who were sound in their living. Father, grow that in us for our good, for Your glory, 
and for the sake of the good news of Jesus being, sh- being shed and, and shared around the world. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.